Uh, Fred wasn't sure what he'd expected, uh, but it wasn't this. Uh, Fred had heard the gospel from a friend and started trusting in Jesus a couple of years ago. He wasn't sure what he expected, but he, he didn't expect it to be this tough. All the guys at work were now weird around him. It was just the occasional muttered thing. And they didn't ask him to hang out outside of work anymore. His family, they initially had said they were okay with him being Christian, but there was this growing distance between them. He could tell they'd taken a step back, no longer shared what was really going on for them because they assumed he'd be judging them. And to top it off, despite all his prayers, there'd been some big health scares for one of his kids. Is this really what following Jesus is like? You're part of God's family now. Shouldn't life be easier? Shouldn't it be better? What are your expectations of the Christian life? Can you think of... At the time when you first started trusting in Jesus, what did you think the Christian life would be like? If you've grown up always knowing Jesus, what kind of expectations have you been given of what the Christian life is going to be like? I reckon for many of us, we assume if we get our religion right, if we get on the right side with God, things should go pretty well for us. But as we've been getting into Acts this year, this historical record of the earliest followers of Jesus, you've got to say life wasn't always easy for the earliest believers. And we see this really clearly in Acts 14. Uh, The key verse for us this morning is Acts 14 verse uh, 22. I'll start reading it from verse 21, which says, Uh, They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. What's the expectation Paul and Barnabas give these young Christians, these baby churches? There's going to be hardship or tribulation, if you prefer the older word. It's not going to be easy to follow Jesus. But why is this? Last week we heard unbelievably good news. The good news that in Jesus the promised Saviour has come. Have a look in your Bible back to chapter 13. So it should just be one page back. Chapter 13 and verse 23. Acts 13, 23 says, From this man's descendants, he's talking about King David, from King David, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus as he promised. In Jesus, God's promises are fulfilled. The end of the ages has now come. Another way of putting it is all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. Jesus is God's king and in Jesus, God's kingdom has come. Jesus has lived, died, risen again in our rules at God's right hand. He's ruling on David's throne 
And this means, as we heard last week, forgiveness and freedom for everyone who believes in Jesus. Have a look at verse 38, Acts 13, 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. The unbelievably good news, God's kingdom has come. God's kingdom is now. But at the same time, it's not fully realized. God's kingdom is not fully established. There are many people who don't recognize Jesus is king. The kingdom is now, but also not yet. Now and not yet. And this is why life following Jesus can be hard. In some ways, what I've just done is I've given you the answer to the question that Acts 14 raises for us. So what we're going to do now is now we've got a feel about what's going on. We're going to look at the details, uh, the details of what happens as Paul and Barnabas continue to take the gospel into Galatia, uh, which these days is Turkey. And Galatia is the region where Paul is going to later send a letter to the Christians, the churches in Galatia. We we call it Galatians. It's the people who live in Galatia are called the Galatians. And as Paul and Barnabas take the gospel into this region, we're going to see this now and not yet of the kingdom in action. So last week, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they were in Pisidian Antioch. That's not to be confused with Antioch in Syria. Uh, They got chased out of Antioch because of opposition, they left behind a joy-filled church and they take the gospel east to Iconium. In Iconium, things follow a similar pattern. They go to the synagogue. They preach the message of God's grace in Jesus to Jews and Greeks. Some people believe, but others don't. There's persecution and plotting and they end up fleeing. Very similar to last week. So let's read from verse 1, Acts 14.1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So how do we see the now and not yet of God's kingdom in Iconium? Well, God's kingdom is now because some people, Jews and Greeks, receive God's grace. They believe. Uh, There's also apostolic evidence of God's kingdom through signs and wonders. The kingdom is now. But it's not yet 
because there's serious opposition, even a plot to murder Paul and Barnabas. Many people reject Jesus' kingship. The kingdom isn't yet fully realised. All right, so that's Iconium. This pattern continues as they take the gospel to Lystra, though things in Lystra are a bit different. First up, no mention of a synagogue. Maybe there weren't all that many Jews in Lystra. Or maybe Luke skips over that part of their ministry to tell a different story. Uh, The event we're about to hear happened not in the synagogue, but in some public space, uh, maybe a market or a town square. And Paul is preaching the gospel and there's a lame man listening to him. A man who's never walked. Uh, He hears Paul's message And he believes and is immediately and miraculously healed. Uh, Verse 8, let's have a listen from verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Uh, This is the... Now of God's kingdom. The only way this man could jump and walk is because Jesus is risen and reigning. Does this remind you of something? It's very similar to when Peter and John went to the Jerusalem temple. And the lame man goes walking and leaping and praising God. Now when that man was healed, we saw opposition from Jewish Leaders, Jewish religious leaders. The priests arrested Peter and John and brought them before the Sanhedrin. So in Acts 3, we see the not yet, the not yet of the kingdom. Those who should be leading God's people to receive and honour God's king, they refused to bow the knee to Jesus. Well, once again, here in Lystra, we see the not yet of the kingdom. Jesus has acted in power, but people misattribute his work to pagan gods. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words... They had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Initially, Paul and Barnabas don't get what's going on. The crowd's excitedly speaking in their heart language, Lyconian. 
But once the priest of Zeus shows up ready to offer sacrifices and worship them as gods, they quickly catch on and they're horrified. They'd come to proclaim Jesus is Lord and and that the God of Israel has come graciously near to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. They didn't come to make things worse, to make people more devoted to their pretend gods. Paul's message to the Lyconians in Lystra is very different from what we heard last week in Acts 13 when Paul was in a synagogue. He doesn't quote chapter and verse to them. He doesn't say anything about God's promises to Israel. In fact, there's no mention of Jesus. Now, that he doesn't quote the Hebrew Scriptures, that's fair enough. These people had never heard them before, but it is surprising there's nothing in this speech about Jesus. Why is this? Well, partly, Luke, as he records Acts, he doesn't write down absolutely every word for word that was said. He he summarises. He gets the main gist across. And we know from verses 8 to 10 that in Lystra he's already been preaching Jesus. So it's not that he said nothing about Jesus. But also, this speech in verses 15 to 17, Paul's goal isn't gospel proclamation. It's just to stop them offering sacrifices. It's just to prevent blasphemy and idolatry. And he only barely manages to do even that. But even with this truth proclaimed that they are not gods, they've come to talk about the true and living God, and even with faith and healing, we've also got pagan misunderstanding. So what have we got? We've got the now, we've got faith and healing, but we've also got the the not yet pagan misunderstanding of the kingdom. But the not yet gets worse. Those Jews that had plotted to kill Paul and Barnabas in the other towns, uh, the rejectors of Jesus from earlier cities come to Lystra to finish things off, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch, that's the Pisidian Antioch, and Iconium, and won the crowd over. If you're not going to let us offer sacrifices to you, maybe you should become a sacrifice. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. It's pretty rough, isn't it? These blokes are so intent on showing how much they hate Jesus, how much they reject him as king, that they hate his followers with murderous intent. But Paul and Barnabas aren't perturbed. Uh, they keep going. They go, they go on to Derby where we hear there is only good news. Loads of people receive Jesus as Lord. They, they're saved. They enter the kingdom of God. And then when they get to Derby, Paul and Barnabas turn around. They go back to the places where they'd seen churches planted. They spend time teaching and encouraging these new believers. And then, they make it back to their home base to Antioch. Uh, This is the Antioch in Syria, where the church had initially sent them off on mission, and the church in Antioch is blown away, overjoyed about what God has done in these cities. So verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city, so that's Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, 
strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the, uh, preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the believers. When Paul and Barnabas were travelling through encouraging the believers, what did they do? When we think of encouragement, we think of cheering someone on, telling them how impressive they are, that, that you've done a really good job. And I'm sure that was part of their encouragement, saying to the churches, hey, well done for following Jesus. Well done for living faithfully for him. It's great to see you living and speaking for Jesus. But the distinct thing about Christian encouragement is it's less patting people on the back, telling them they've done a good job. Christian encouragement is about Jesus. It's reminding each other about what Jesus has done and what he is doing. And that's what we hear in verse 22. They were encouraged to remain true to the faith, to keep trusting Jesus. And the best way to encourage people in this is to remind them about how trustworthy Jesus is. That he really did die for our sin to bring forgiveness and freedom. That Jesus really rose again and that he has ascended and is now reigning and ruling as the Lord of all. It's to remind people that all of this is God's plan from before time began and now God has said yes to all of his promises. And now that the Father and the Son have sent their Spirit because it's the time of the Spirit who brings about faith and repentance and changes God's people to live for Jesus and equips and empowers us for mission. That's the kind of thing Paul and Barnabas would have encouraged these young churches with. And they also strengthened them by giving them realistic expectations. To remind them that yes, God's kingdom has come in Jesus. It is now. But it's also not yet. And this means life following Jesus will include many hardships, many tribulations. Now, the believers in these towns, they, they knew this already, didn't they? They'd, they'd experienced it. They'd lived it. They'd seen how Paul and Barnabas had been treated, and they themselves would have been mistreated. They would have been misunderstood or rejected. They would have been opposed. And so as they travel back, back through, they're helping them to understand, why is this? Does this contradict the gospel? Does it mean Jesus isn't on the throne, that God hasn't kept all of his promises? No, it's because in some senses the kingdom is not yet. But the kingdom is also now. Because they would have been seeing people receiving Christ and people being changed by Jesus. 
They would have seen the church radically living out its commitment to Christ because the kingdom is now. Now this now and not yet language I've been using, this is kind of theological language. You're not going to read now and not yet in the Bible. Uh, This whole idea is caught up in the words of verse 22, particularly the phrase, entering the kingdom of heaven. But what's, what's this mean? Why the continuous kind of sense? Why entering? Aren't Christians already citizens of heaven? If Jesus is your king, aren't you in the kingdom? Well, yes, because the kingdom is now. Though at the same time, the whole of the Christian life is entering into the fullness of the kingdom. We are awaiting Jesus' return, the resurrection of our bodies and the making new of the heavens and earth. Entering into the kingdom doesn't mean believers aren't already citizens of heaven. You might notice the same thing as we read the Bible and you hear the way the word saved or salvation is said. Some passages say believers are saved, past tense. Others say we are being saved. It's kind of present continuous event. Others that we will be saved. And all of these tenses are true. Salvation is past, present and ongoing and it's future. And the kingdom of the heaven, kingdom of heaven is the same. Now and not yet. We have entered. We are entering and will enter. And understanding this is key to having right expectations and being able to live out the Christian life. Like those earliest believers, if you're trusting in Jesus, then the kingdom is now. Jesus is risen and reigning. The spirit has been poured out. And we should expect to see this in our before our eyes, in our reality. We should expect to see lives changed by Jesus, people becoming Christians, people growing to be like Jesus. So be encouraged. And as we're just saying, look towards Jesus and press on. But we should also expect... It'll only be through many hardships, many tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Because of the not yet of the kingdom, we should expect to experience the pain and sorrow of our fallen and broken world. Like all people, Christians will experience sickness, grief, loss, Struggles with mental health, struggles with relationships, financial problems. Following Jesus will not make these hardships go away because the kingdom is not yet. And because of the not yet of the kingdom, there will be particular hardships following Jesus. The struggle to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. The pain that comes from our own sin, the sin of other Christians, these will bring us hardship because the kingdom is not yet. Like the young churches in Galatia, there'll be opposition from religious and irreligious people who don't 
recognise Jesus as king. At the moment, we're hearing lots about where in some places it's hard for Bible-believing, Jesus-loving brothers and sisters in the Anglican Communion. Their bishop, who is meant to contend for the faith, once for all entrusted to God's holy people, instead, some bishops are opposed to faithful ministers and churches, who with deep sorrow decide they have no option but to leave that denomination. Just as it's always been, it's hard to follow Jesus. There is opposition from those who are religious. It's also hard to follow Jesus when our culture says to do the opposite of what Jesus says. We live in a world that wants us to bow the need to greed, to worship money to value the economy over health, to put profits over people. We live in a world that where there's pressure to not care about God's creation, especially not if it means changing how we have to live. There will be hardship because living how Jesus says in our bodies, recognising our sexuality and gender as a gift, living faithfully for Jesus, is going to lead to all kinds of hardship in our culture. There are all sorts of temptation and pressure to make ourselves God, to put ourselves first and put ourselves at the centre, self-worship and idolatry, and resisting this temptation and the pressure in our culture is hard. Why is this so? Why is there pressure and temptation to deny Christ? Well, it's because we live in that tension, don't we? The kingdom is now... And it's not yet. So we shouldn't be surprised. We should expect these kinds of hardship. They shouldn't make us think, oh, is Jesus off the throne? Is he not really alive? No, it's the tension that shows that he is risen and reigning, but that he's not yet returned to make all things new. And so through these hardships, be encouraged, Jesus is king. All authority on heaven and on earth is given to him. The kingdom is now. But it's also not yet. We are awaiting his return and the fulfillment of all things. As Amazing Grace says, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace, it's God's grace, has brought me safe thus far. And it's only through God's grace that he will lead me home. Let's pray. Father God, we give you our praise because Jesus is King. Please strengthen and encourage us in this good news, the good news of sin forgiven, of the certainty of eternal life for all who trust in him. Strengthen us for patient endurance through hardship and tribulation. Help us to know what to expect in this in-between time when Jesus is risen and reigning and yet we await his return when he will make all things new. Help us be steadfast that through many hardships we will enter into the fullness of his kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.